Hello and welcome to another episode of Finding Annie. We have such a good episode for you this week, but before looking forwards, let's look backwards. Cue rewind sound. Uh, last week we had an episode that was all about working and parenting. Jesse Ware and I had an expletive ridden therapy session talking very honestly about how we try and do both work and parent at the same time. We got emails about it. Thank you so much for your emails. It's good to hear from you. I want to read out two today. Both are from Sarah's. So shout out to Sarah number one who says the following. I asked for answers, by the way, on the eternal conundrum of working and parenting. So this is Sarah's, the Sarah's answers. Parenting will always be riddled with guilt, but that's because we love our kids. So the guilt is actually love that feels like a punch in the stomach. Focus on the love bit and the guilt subsides. Okay. She also goes on to say, having a supportive, encouraging workplace who truly values the extra load we carry is something we all deserve. But if that's not there, we must be each other's cheerleaders. Water, women. Huggers and believers. Um, So thank you so much to Sarah One. That's so, so true. And Sarah Two says, I had a successful business but gave it up to be with my kids. I consider myself lucky to have been able to do that. I'm an intelligent, ambitious woman. And although some may think that I've sold myself short or not reached my true potential, that I have somehow let womankind down by not returning to work, by putting my family first, I am inferior. It is true that over the years I have come across women that look down their nose at me. Tough to do as I'm 5'10". You know what? That's their problem, not mine. Um, thank you both for your intelligent um, input to the conversation. And yeah, real nice to be getting that from you. This week's episode is entitled The Fame Game. If you have anything to say about what you're about to hear, any opinions, any experiences with fame or famous people, I'd love to hear from you. Any anecdotes or opinions, get them in to findingannymac at gmail.com. And we will start this episode with a memory. Actually, just FYI, this is the memory that triggered me doing this entire podcast. This is the memory that freaked me out so much. Um that I was like, I've, I'm losing my memory and I've got to try and get my friends and family to help me claw my life back because I'm, rem- I'm forgetting really important things. So yeah, this is the original one. This is Grimmy and I discussing a very special day a good few years ago. Okay, so every Sunday you'd come and collect me from home why by the way because i lived so far away from you it was, I was kind just of into on the having way. a car wasn't it? i just got yeah you were into having a car and a car in london i think is a novelty right. yeah like i was really like mm, annie has a car <laughs> <clears throat> sitting the sitting in the front of a car in london is mad <laughs> yeah. isn't it yeah you're not in a taxi yeah. or on a bus yeah. and um yeah you'd pick me up every sunday I guess no traffic. It's yeah. an easy drive. Yeah. And then we'd always got in, and I can't believe that we'd always get into work for like five to seven mm-hmm. when our show was at seven. Mm-hmm. No prep. Why can't we do that anymore? I don't know. Um, and yeah, one day I was at Kate's house for like a barbecue or Sunday roast or summer. Mm-hmm. And it was she, summertime. It was summertime, so maybe it was a barbecue. Mm-hmm. And you were going to come and pick me up from there. Well, you just gave me the postcode. Yeah. Just FYI. So I just got like rocked up to this mansion in Highgate and was like, where am I? And, and then it was like Kate Moss's house. Great. Cheers for the heads cheers for, up. Otherwise, you would have come in a high fashion look. <laughs> and um, I, I can't remember what happened now, but oh, yeah. So she'd she'd just moved in there and her neighbor, like a few doors down, was George Michael. Mm. And I think the only person that she's like super nervous around and like, right. oh my God, it's them, is George Michael. And I was like, he's on the balcony. 
And everyone in the garden was like, ah, of course he is. And I was like, George, come over. And everyone was like, ah, of course he is. Because they didn't believe that he was, but he actually was. Mm. And then he came round um, to the house and sort of invited himself in. And then it was all of a sudden really weird because George Michael's there <laughs> and no one knew him and it was weird. Um, and then um, you knocked at the door. Yeah. And I don't think I got the door. No, he didn't. Did George Kate, Michael get the door? No, I think Kate Moss got the door. And you were like, hello. And then and I remember Anita Pallenberg was there. Yeah, Anita Pallenberg was there. Mm-hmm. And you came into the garden, say hi to everybody. Mm-hmm. And when you came in, George Michael saw you and was like, oh my God, <laughs> it's Annie Mack. No, he did yes, not. Yes, he did. Like, he didn't freak out, but he was like, oh, Annie Mack's here. Like, he knew who Annie Mack was. And he's like a massive house music, dance music fan. So he used to listen to your show. Is this what materialised through the conversation? And he basically was telling everyone how much he loves your show. And then he began to play you music that he'd made like he'd made like new like dance music or like electronic music and he was saying that he was going to do a project which was um all done by gay people and he was going to have like him singing it and gay producers and gay engineers and gay music video directors all that was his idea at the time Mm. and he played it but i can't remember what the song sounded like and i can't remember what the outcome was because i think we'd had some wine and then we went to work I can't remember it. So I can remember flashbacks. I can remember people sat in the garden. I don't remember. I, I have a memory of him sitting near me. I can't put George Michael no, in I, that memory. I can't put him in. I'm just like, it. I, why the fuck does my brain not compute? It doesn't I remember. don't know, because I can remember it happening. But now I'm telling it back, it sounds like I'm so lying. So absurd. Doesn't it? Was he wearing a bathrobe? I, he was wearing a bathrobe and like George Michael sunglasses. Of- so maybe he looked so much like George Michael, we c- couldn't take it in. Yeah. Maybe it's like when kids meet like Barney the Dinosaur Summer. <laughs> and they're just, just too like, much. oh, it's too weird. Their brain explodes. Yeah. I had been blinded by fame, blinded by the light of George Michael. Um, and Grimmy said, maybe it's like just inexplicable like maybe it's like looking at a waterfall you can't stop staring at it or looking at a flame you know why are you why do your eyes be drawn to a flame like that um so yeah some people are just incredibly overwhelmingly uh dazzling and george michael was one of those people for me the cult of celebrity is something i was definitely initially drawn to when i moved to the big smoke london town um I wanted to be successful and I also very much wanted to be famous. I wanted the fame and the success. I was curious about the fame. Um, As I've got older and experienced a very low level of fame, I have become more and more repelled by it. Um, I guess having seen glimpses of extreme fame over the years, like, you know, paparazzi and the reality of what paparazzi looks like and sounds like, um, the kind of physical threatening presence of it, um, it's it's not nice. It's not something I would wish upon anyone. Um, I've had two, I guess, separate experiences of fame in that DJing has afforded me a kind of intense level sometimes of fame. And that would mainly be when you're in a room and you are the kind of main attraction and everyone is staring at you and everyone wants to be your friend and everyone's shouting in your face and and that kind of thing. So that's kind of, you know, any other DJ can can relate to that when you're really kind of in the centre of attention. Um, And that is something that I kind of deal with by boozing or just kind of a loud internal dialogue 
um, that switches on and off quite quickly. Um, and then the other level is much more gentle, and that is radio. Um, I'm so comfortable and happy in the level of, I guess you'd call it fame, that radio brings, um, because it's it's warm. You know, people don't see you, they only hear you. So they're hearing your personality. There's a kind of real familiarity with, with, with people when they meet me because of radio. So if I'm out and people have listened to my show all their lives or, or you know, for years, they will... Um, they will feel like they know me so well because I've been speaking to them personally, um, you know, one to one for all this time in their house, in their car. I've been with them. So there's this element of real companionship there. Um, and that's a nice a nice thing, I think. And I'm happy to be in that situation where, um, you know, people don't like run across the street and go, ah, can I? picture it's more just like they'll sidle up to you in boots and be like i love your show it's great oh god love it dance every friday and that's like brilliant okay so i'm very lucky in that um the the main part of my job affords me a very kind of uh, warm and gentle side of fame it is something i wanted to discuss though because one of the reasons why um I'm grateful for the way that my career planned out is because I had a chance to be a fucking idiot. I had a chance to make loads of mistakes. I had a chance to dress terribly. I had a chance to look terrible. I did it all away from, I mean, away from any sort of camera or away from any sort of social media, which I'm so fucking grateful for. Um, And I only became remotely in the public eye from my kind of mid to late 20s. So I'm glad about that. And our guest today is similar in that way that she she only really found fame in her 30s. Um, she was always the person I wanted to speak to with regards to fame and the absurdity of fame because she's been exposed to lots of different types of fame, be it kind of working with huge movie stars to, um, to huge TV stars, um, doing the Hollywood thing, um, doing the kind of Emmys, doing the BAFTAs, all of that. Um, and also that kind of familiarity fame that's similar to radio in that she um, she's, does comedy and she does it really well and, and people kind of are, are very warm about that kind of um, side of things. We're going to meet her now. Her name is Sharon Horgan. She is a indomitable force of television. She's a, a really gifted screenwriter. She is a comedian. She is an actress. Um, she does all three really well, um, as well as being a parent. And uh, she's someone who I've admired from afar for a very, very long time. And I was well excited to go to see her in her house and sit down and have it out about her journey to fame and her relationship with it. Uh, so, yeah, welcome to the podcast, Sharon Horgan. Can we start by you telling me about when you left Ireland for England? Oh, wow. What was in your head about like going to make it? <laughs> uh, okay, but well, you have to tell me. 100%. Okay. Um, so I left Ireland for England in um, 1989. Uh, okay. 1989. 
And I had done an almost year at art college in Dublin. And, you know, I was kind of part of a nicer scene there and had some great friends. And But I realized art college definitely wasn't for me. And um, it literally was, I'm going to go to London and make, and make my fortune. Um, I'd, I'd applied for, I sort of, you know, wanted to do the acting thing. And I'd applied for some... Um, you know, degree courses like theatre studies at, at Trinity and, and that and didn't get in. And so I was a bit like, you know, I was like, well, now I'm all out of ideas. And uh, <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll just go to London and, and just take a chance. And I don't even know what my plan was. I didn't really have one. Yeah. I had some friends over there, like not even that many. And uh, yeah, so I just... Um, packed my bags and left. And um, I think the third day I was there, I got knocked down by a motorcycle. <laughs> and, Why are you uh, laughing at this? I should be laughing. It's yeah, traumatic. It's ter- it was really traumatic. Yeah. And um, Were you hurt bad? I mean, my, my leg just sort of was like a balloon. It was so swollen. And, yeah. But I was so embarrassed at having been knocked down. I remember like crawling across the road, just trying to pick up all my shit and, uh, and then crawl back to the squat I was staying in. And then when I got back, the guy who we were staying with kind of went, ah, your leg's fucked. And (laughs) so then like going to the hospital. (laughs) He told you. Yeah. Yeah. And did you think about going home then? I I, I thought about going home all the time, but it kind of got to that point where, you know, a couple of years went by and like nothing was happening. I had this job at the job center and, you know, I was like sort of doing bits of courses like, you know, drama courses in the evenings or anything I could find, but wasn't really doing anything. And I was just too sort of embarrassed at my terrible situation to go home. I thought, well, I'll just wait until, (laughs) whoops, my chair. Um, I thought I'll just, I'll just wait until, you know, something comes up. But yeah, I think I, I think I just thought someone was going to tap me on the shoulder and say, oh my God, you are, come with me. <laughs> Clearly you are talented yeah. and beautiful. Get Clearly. on that screen. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then I think I continued to think that for a while until I stopped thinking it. And, and then it was, it was more sort of like, oh, it's never going to happen. I'll have to find something else to do. Mm. When did you start actually um, writing? Like for, I mean, you were writing all the way through your 20s? Um, No, no, not really. I was sort of, you know, putting on plays above pubs and that kind of thing. I was doing kind of doing the fringe theatre thing and I didn't really start writing. I suppose I started writing sort of mid-20s, that kind of thing. And and not in a concentrated um, way, just sort of like here and there. And then and then I and then I started taking a bit more seriously when I met um Dennis Kelly and he had written a play and you know um I thought it was very good. Even though now he would say it was really not very good, but I was like, oh God, this is this has got characters and there's a story and (laughs) people go in and out of doors and it is a play. (laughs) And so then me and him just started writing together. That, that, that was, um, that was how I kind of started doing it. Not necessarily properly, but in a way where I was like, 
you know, I would sit down and go, this is what we're doing now. And we would <clears throat> meet, you know, a few yeah. days a week and, and sit down and sort of start writing sort of comedy. We started writing comedy sketches and we started writing pilots for things that were never made, obviously. But, you mm. know, we were, we were like, this is our sort of job. And then tell me about the kind of inception of pulling in your head. When did that? We, we sort of thought, well, let's write about what we know obviously and uh and that was our you know misspent 20s and yeah. our um lives living in um shared accommodate accommodation working in unsatisfactory jobs messing up relationships and um generally kind of failing i suppose and um and we 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 love the idea of writing it through um, the eyes of these three women, um, myself in particular, because I just really wasn't getting anything sort of interesting to play myself, mm. you know. Mm. And yeah, they just, we wrote a pilot script and they commissioned the series off of the pilot script. We didn't even have to- Make the pilot. No. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was a really good script though. Like we spent a long time on it. I mean, we did spend a long time writing yeah. it, but- And were you always wanting to play? One of the girls was that yeah. in your yes yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 because yeah. you wanted to find a role that was real yeah but also yeah. it was pure like you know yeah chancer yeah though thing yeah. to do I mean no one had <laughs> offered me the lead in anything except myself <laughs> so I was like yes okay yes I'll do that and how was it going from then being like virtually you know unknown in 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 the world in terms of like on a on a level of fame to then starring in a sitcom on channel four that must have been quite a jump well it was on bbc3 so BBC not that three, many people bad. saw it. Oh, right. you know there it, it wasn't that much of a jump um i i'd sort of done you know <clears throat> a series on on channel four and i'd done like the friday night project the first yeah. series of that and i'd done um i just started doing um annually retentive with Rob Bryden, which I think way more people saw that. Okay. And, but in terms of like having success that felt, you know, like I had something to do with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was the big sort of difference, I think. But like fame wise, I mean, it just definitely, it's, we it's weird. I, I think maybe in the first, the first while it's on, while it's on, people might come up and say, I like your, your show. Mm. As soon as it's over, like people, they mm. just forget yeah. that you've done that thing. So, so then it just goes. So you're brought back to earth so quickly. I yeah. mean, you get kind of six weeks of it. Yeah. And then it would just sort of depend on like where, what the demographic was. So, you know, if I went to Knightsbridge, for example, I mean, no one would give yeah. me a second look. If I went to Glastonbury yeah. or, you know, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Or, or some sort of market in Hackney or whatever, you know, then people would come up to you. But it was always like very, very low key, low level. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so after Pulling came out, and as you were saying, it was the idea of you being behind it. Did you feel like that opened shitload of doors for you in terms of writing more, getting more opportunities to produce? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. But but again, it's not it's not that easy, you know. It's, um, you, I kind of only started realizing how hard it was after pulling actually, because again, it's sort of like, what is your next thing going to be that, that feels as right for you and feels mm. as sort of 
of its time, I suppose, and and sort of that fits in with everything else that's on on you know on the air. Mm. And uh, so it just took a long time for me to figure out what that next thing was. I mean, it's from the outside. It's, it, it, I think it obviously you just can't see or understand the slog that goes into actually creating TV, yeah. right? Yeah, and the pilots. And the, the amount of, yeah, like how long does something take? Let's say, I mean, you've done it from the early stages of an idea to actually watching it on telly. I know there's no fixed thing, but roughly like. Yeah, there is no fixed thing. Um, if, if, it, if it's the root of you pitch an idea, you get a treatment commissioned, you write the treatment, you get a pilot script commissioned, you write the pilot, you get your pilot commissioned, you make the pilot you get your series commissioned, you write the series, uh, you make the series, you edit the series, the series goes out. I mean, that, if, it, if it's that sort of route, I mean... Like, which is a standard route, it sounds which, like. Which is yeah. a standard route if you're lucky, because, yeah, yeah, because yeah. oftentimes, you know, you fall at any of those hurdles I've just sort of mentioned along the way. Yeah. But I mean, that's got to be like, it can be three years, you know. Mm. Yeah. It can be less. Yeah. It can be two years. Yeah. But it's... From, from idea to telly is, is a chunk of time. Looking back now, are you happy that you had that time in your 20s that was a kind of no man's land of, of, of figuring stuff out? Or are you, do you wish that it all happened when you were like 21? I, I sort of... Because I resent going to university. I'm like, I fucking didn't need to do that. I wish I'd just gone straight to radio yeah. when I was like 19. Yeah. And everything. I'd be like five years ahead of myself right now. Yeah. I don't know. I suppose I'm a bit sad that I didn't have the confidence, I think, yeah. to sort of push myself to make it happen sooner. Because I, thinking about it now, I know that that's what it was, you know. And also, you know, the, fear of failure or being told no and that kind of mm. thing but it's it's literally pointless wasted energy regretting mm. anything but mm. at the same time I think when you get older you do sort of think did did I you know did I use time wisely and I mean I could sort of say the same about myself at the moment certainly the last couple of months are you mad like, I'm not using my time that wisely but um <laughs> but like uh but that's okay that's okay um, but yeah, no, I do. I mean, for years, my pat, my off pat sort of answer was, well, you know, I don't regret that because if I hadn't, you know, wasted, um, uh, about the place for, for mm. 10 years, I, I wouldn't have been able to write that show, which was, you know, which is still one of the loves of my life and, mm. I, you know, mm. and, and getting to work with Dennis and, and all of that. But, you know, I could have done it in two to three years, mm. the wasting period. <laughs> I didn't have to go the full decade. It's just that thing, isn't it? Like if you could give yourself, your younger self a, a talking to, it's more sort of that. Because mm. I, you know, I I do sort of get slightly jealous of people who have that extra gene or whatever it is mm. to push themselves and to be so um, ambitious at, it, at a younger age, like to have mm. that sort of, confidence at a younger age is I get I get jealous of it I'm mm. like I'm like wow you are you are built for this industry you mm. know mm. whereas I don't necessarily think I I was built for this industry I think I mm. sort of became 
capable over lots of years and only after I had a certain amount of projects under my belt. And even then, not so much mm. because I, I would always sort of collaborate with people. It was always very easy to think, oh, you know, the success is because of them or, mm. you know, the, the quality of the work is because of them and never sort of let myself you know, just enjoy the fact that I might be quite good at something, you know. Mm. And do you find, do you find that because you were, I mean, what age were you when pulling became I wasn't, a thing? I wasn't you were on the telly young, already, yeah. as you said. Um, so it was, by the time it went out, it was 2006. So I was like 36. Yeah. You know. Um, but do you think maybe that was a good thing as well? Though? Oh, it was definitely a good thing in terms of like my personality. Yeah. You know, you, I you mean, were fully, wholly yourself. Oh, you know? yeah. yeah. And, and also I was so grateful. I was so fucking grateful. Okay. And, you know, like I found the whole thing just wonderful, mm. you know, like turning up on set and seeing, you know, people there for something you know, myself and my friend had written and, mm. you know, just the idea of like someone collecting me in a car to take me somewhere <laughs> to go and do this Woo! thing or, you know, um, I, I like, I found a lot of joy in it, but, mm. um, which is good. And I, and I think it stopped, I, th I think there's a chance if, if, you know, success or fame comes to you when you're younger, there's a really high percentage of you turning into an asshole. Mm. And, and not that I haven't been an asshole in, in my life, you know, mm -hmm. I, I have for sure, but definitely le less of a one, I think, if, if it had sort of got handed to me on a plate early doors mm. and, you know, and if you really have to work for something, you appreciate it a lot more. Mm. Do you see it? Do you see it happening? Well, people turning into assholes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, of course. It's mad in, with the radio show because you see people in the really early stages oh, yeah. coming in all kind of wide-eyed and yeah. grateful. And, yeah. and then like, it's just mad seeing them like every six months or yeah. whatever for the next few years. And you're like, you've changed. Yeah, I mean, it can like happen. Like they've got shades on. on. The you're like, hang turn. on a second. It can happen on the turn of a, yeah. a dime, you know. It's mad, it's, isn't it? Which makes it hilarious. Because when you can see it, you know, yeah. perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good thing, I guess, about, about like achieving success later in life is because you have perspective on it. You know what it's yeah. like to be fucking, yes. to not to have to get the bus to work. and not. Well, that's it. Off. But it also, you know, it does, it does make you a little cynical. Like you do sort mm. of, and, and also haven't been in, in, in business for a while and sort of been on the receiving end of, you know, um, reactions sort of good and bad and, and how quickly people sort of, you know, flip their opinion and how, I, I guess you can just sort of, it's not like seeing through it. It's, it's not, I mean, there's worse industries, the arms industry, for example, okay. but um, it's, it's, it is a fickle world. And yeah. I think just sort of being able to sort of separate yourself, just take a step back and, mm. and look at it. And I think really like a good number of years ago, I was able to sort of look at it and go, like, what exactly am I, aiming for like what am I hoping to achieve like what's the end goal yeah and to to reach some kind of level of success where just to stay there is gonna like you know um almost destroy you or or you know or to 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 keep hustling to get to the very tippity top and then what like you you you, you fall. I mean, most people do. I mean, there's a, just this tiny handful mm. of, of people who are sort of able to stay there. And then you kind of think at what cost. And, and so I think sort of years ago, I kind of worked out, well, it really just has to be about what you want to make 
and what you'd like to watch. And and really, if things come up that look like they'd be fun, do them. How have you navigated the more kind of fickle side of the whole game? Like in terms of having to do red carpets, having to go to snazzy parties oh, and all that business. I don't do any of it. You don't? I don't go to any of it. I don't do any of it. And did you it. find that hard at the start? Did you feel the pressure where people are like, well, you fucking have to do this because well, it's because, your show. no, because I've never had that sort of level of fame. I just mm. haven't. Mm. I mean, if I guess if I really pushed it and and looked to, to you know, get PR very early and made mm. sure I was at those things or like, mm. you know, went on as many sort of, TV shows as, as mm. possible. And I mean, I, I did a few sort of in the early days and then I realized they just, I felt uncomfortable and, you know, stressed. And and I was like, well, maybe it's just enough that I do what I do. Like maybe that's enough. Mm. I go to things if, like say if a show I'm doing has been nominated or something, or if I've been in the film that is, yeah. like yeah, I go, yeah. I'll go to that. But, you know, I still feel uncomfortable and hope it, is over as yeah as possible, <laughs> but I don't, apart from that, no, I don't. Sorry, I'm just eating a grape now. What about you working with people who have reached these insane levels of fame? So I read about Carrie Fisher calling herself in your article that you wrote mm-hmm. for the Guardian, Mickey Mouse, which mm-hmm. I thought was so interesting—the mm-hmm. idea of mm-hmm. owning people. Mm-hmm people feeling like they have an ownership over you because they've watched you a certain amount mm-hmm, of times. Mm-hmm. How was it with her initially kind of being in the same room as her with her being that overwhelmingly mm. famous? Well, I mean, the thing I think with some people who have that overwhelming sort of level of fame, they they go from cars to, um, you know, members clubs to restaurants where not many Mm. you know regular people go to Mm. you know someone covering them with an umbrella into the next car Mm. into the next you know covered (laughs) area I mean I'm not saying that Carrie didn't wasn't able to just sort of you know hang out and do her her own thing but when when I was with her it was always in sort of very sort of you know closed off kind of areas and some people seem to be able to walk around invisible people who've got high levels of fame and 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 some people just yeah. aren't and I mean even like I was doing um, an interview with Anna Maxwell Martin the other day who who plays um Julia in Motherland and because I think she and she was she was saying she could be right because it's a comedy people feel even like like they know you even more, almost mm. like, I mean, not quite soap level, but mm. you know, soap, everyone thinks they know you. Sitcom, mm. they're quite familiar with you. Drama, they're like, they'll leave you alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. like she was saying that, that, you know, people kind of grab her, like they 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 mm. want to sort of um, touch her and stuff. And it, only in a, in a sort of excited kind mm. of, um, you know, could I talk to you about, it? I love that character kind of yeah. thing. But, um, but, you know, I, I think other, other people who have got any, you know, a higher level of fame can sort of pass pass by unnoticed. Um, it's all very weird. I mean, even on like my level, which is pretty low level, mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's a strange thing because you like it. I mean, you like people coming up to you and telling you they like what you do because that is 
you know, I've been, I'm lucky in that. That's always, I've never had anyone come up and, you know, mm. throw anything at me or <laughs> tell me, try and take me down. It's always just been lovely. Yeah. And like 90% of the time it's women. Yeah. And it's 90% of that time it's women kind of my age. And a lot of them are Irish. Yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I, did, I did this, um, I forget what it was, but some kind of talk in um, in Ireland, I can't remember who it was, got me over, but the majority of the audience were Irish women of my age and I've yeah. never, I mean, it was, it was just nuts. I mean, that, that kind of thing could have, that would affect your ego, but, yeah. um, but yeah, because so, so, so they're just really nice to me and, yeah. and it, it's, it's kind of, I, 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 I can see it being kind of addictive a little bit yeah. because if you're having dopamine. a bad day, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and if you are feeling down about yourself or if you're, you know, the thing you're writing isn't coming together or you've had, you know, something rejected or mm. it's, it's a, it's a weird boost. So it's, that's problematic, I yeah, think, yeah, because that's not always going to be there. And, and I think the thing is, is just to really, really try to not rely on, on that, mm. you know, mm. um, but for people who have enormous level of fame, I mean, that must be, I can't even get mm. my head around that, that the sort of, you know, serotonin levels and all yeah. that kind of thing. And, you know, what happens when I used to think about my, my brother, you know, who's who played rugby internationally and, mm. you know, it would be the, 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 the crowd sort of, you know, the swell of that crowd sort of screaming when, you know, he'd score a try or, you know, anything. And, and then like the buzz of that and just, you know, you're doing it for your country and mm, like you're, you mm. are a national hero. And then what happens, you know, what happens, you know, in bed that night when you're yeah. sort of coming down off that or when you get up the next morning and what happens when that career kind of ends? Like where do you get those sort of levels of, mm. uh, you know, I guess they're sort of joy, aren't they? And um, I mean, any 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 sensible person would tell you to just, put no stock in it but how can you not yeah. it's it's sort of yeah it's there and you like it you cannot feel it yeah you cannot feel it mm. with directing how's that been it's been great yeah. i mean ask any woman who's who's directed anything for the first time they're suddenly like oh great i have the power yeah thank you very much you're never getting this back <laughs> and and like so that that's what happened to me when i directed my my first thing which was years ago yeah and and I remember going, all right, this is what I'm doing now. And then realized there wasn't really enough money. In <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but also realizing that once you stop, because I had to really force myself to do it, yeah. you know, because I didn't have the confidence. Um, but once you step away from it for long enough, you kind of lose the confidence again. And, yeah. and, you know, it's like anything. If you yeah. put yourself out there, you look back six months later and you go, how, how did I, was that a different person how doing did that? I do that? Yeah, how yeah. did I do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, so I kind of had that sort of thing, but, um, no, I, 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 I really enjoy it. I mean, it, it, it's stressful in that, I mean, even if you're writing and producing things, you have people who, you know, have to make sort of the final, um, decision I suppose on 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 things which is kind of what the director does so even though mm. if you're a very hands-on writer producer you still there's there's plenty of people to sort of turn to mm. and go is this right what do you think mm. and 
I think with the directing, the thing I had to get my head around was that there was no one. You were the final. Like, you were the final. Yeah, I was yeah, the last yeah. person in that line. Yeah. And that's and, a confidence thing as well, isn't yeah, it? When you used yeah, to collaborate, it's like, okay, it stops with me. Completely. I mean, the only thing I'll say is, is like, you you have, you you bring enough people in who whose work is great and who you respect and admire, then it is still a, a collaboration because yeah. everyone always, you know, their their sort of area of expertise is not necessarily going to be yours. I think what it comes down to with directing is I I found was like it was mostly with my my taste, I suppose. Like what I what I thought yeah. was the yeah. you know the, the best um shot or what I thought was the best, you know, um route for that particular scene or, you know So how, there's no right or wrong as such. It's that's just kind personal. of the thing. Yeah. yeah. So so it's just trusting your your taste. Yeah. Um uh but yeah, no, I, 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 I do enjoy it. It's a lot, it's a lot of work. It's yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love when I came in, you were like, I don't have anything that's going on in my head. And you felt a bit like panicky. Cause you're yeah. like, I need something to be got. Like I need yeah. a project, a creative project. Yeah. So are you one of those people that does panic when there's nothing going yeah. on? But you have, don't you have about 14 things going on, but yeah. they're different things. They are different things. I mean, and I love that. I love it's an absolute joy working on other people's stuff and it's it's a you know it's it's another skill set you know which i st- i'm developing you know is mm. being able to look at someone else's thing and 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 not sort of push my sort of vision for it on it but just sort of take what's there and just help them sort of hone it or help it become the best it can be um so was this way up a good example of that of you kind of doing that oh yeah I mean Ashling was you know she knew exactly what she wanted to do she'd such a strong um vision and idea and voice and and you know no one would tell (laughs) Ashling what to do but I think what I was able to do was give her my opinion on on stuff which which Mm. she you know appreciated because we've known each other for years and because she trust me and um but yeah I I think for for newer writers usually in general they they need a bit of sort of guiding and and everyone needs a sort of pair of eyes that are slightly you know removed Mm. from a project to sort of Mm. come in and and say what they think because sometimes you get so sort of you know can't see the wood for the trees kind of thing but I, I I think what I was saying to you earlier was just you know, post-catastrophe, it was the same as post-pulling. Mm. I, I loved that show so much and I loved writing it so much mm. and I, I loved working with Rob so much and I really enjoyed playing that character and and I really enjoyed, once we were in the middle of the scripts, kind of just diving in there and just being in that world mm. and it, it's a weird sort of comfort, you know. And it was a massive part of your life. How many years? Huge, like, like five years, yeah. you know, and always doing this thing. I mean, mm. not that it was the only thing, but it was a, a huge part of every year and um so now I just you know in terms of coming up with the next thing that I want to do which is for me that's the thing that I think I haven't sort of nailed yet and yeah. I'm telling myself that's okay because at the moment I just have pages of things that are yeah. you know ideas or you know um anything that sort of comes to me or or you know anything that I'm inspired by I'm just sort of writing stuff down and sort of watching and and listening really Mm. but you know I haven't quite got there Mm. so um but that's I mean you you have to take that time to 
find that thing because you are going to have to live with it if in, in success for a long mm. time. But, you know, and there's been other... There's been other times when I have the next idea ready to go. Like, mm. you know, I finish one project and the next idea is ready to go. And yeah. when that happens, that's great. Yeah. But it doesn't always happen. Yeah. Yeah. And are you good at this bit waiting around? No. Yeah. No, I'm really not. <laughs> I just, you know, I mean, I'm very, I'm very impractical in a lot of ways, but just very practical in that I'm like, you know, I, I, I just sort of need to know what the next thing is. I yeah. need to know where... Yeah. <laughs> you know where the next book totally is coming from you know yeah. i mean it's just that's just how it is yeah. and um we have loads of projects and loads of shows and loads of good stuff happening but for me it's just a personal thing i need to know what my my, yeah. my thing is yeah 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 so Before we go, let's talk quickly about social media. Because have you, did you come off or something for a bit? I, I thought you said a thing where you're like, I'm, I'm out oh, here for a I, while. Oh, I kind of got, I, I didn't say that actually, but because um, I always hate when people go, I'm guys, off. I'm, yeah. uh, you, I know you all really oh, no. care. You did a post where you're like, I haven't been on here for a while. Yeah, I, 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 I posted um, something on Instagram because like I, I definitely use it as a, as a marketing yeah. tool and I, I don't know how successful it is, but... <laughs> When shows come out, I want people to sort of know yeah. about them. And um, I think it was when Ashling's show was coming out and I and I sort of, so I went back into Twitter just to have a little look and, and I saw what an enormous mm. reaction people um, were having to it. And uh, so I, I, I posted something on Instagram that linked to Twitter and, and then I, I thought, well, I feel really bad because, you know, people talk to you on, on Twitter yeah. and... And then, I mean, like we direct, we I missed mean, each other a few, a few yeah. times. I hadn't been on there for so many months, yeah. and and I thought, well, I've obviously ignored a lot of people for a long time. Mm. I thought, well, I'll, I'll just say I haven't been say on hi. here. Yeah, um, it's just just a a needy <laughs> kind of like um, you know o- overthinking thing. But um, yeah, I got off it because I was just um, I was just going down too many. Um, you know, whatever it's saying is wormholes. Wormholes, yeah. yeah. With it, I I genuinely was just lying there at night, reading Scrum. it and scrolling and going from one to the next to the next. And you know, I was also getting caught up in sort of listening to people's arguments. You know, mm. and oftentimes it would be you know someone I obviously followed, so you know ad- admired in in some way or another, um, getting sort of hounded by you know. 5,000 people raging raging and then and then what happened was people I you know followed and admired were arguing with other people I followed and admired and and when that started Mm. happening actually I think it was around about the sort of Danny Baker um sort of you know that time um I just thought I just think this is um not healthy and I spend too much time on it and also I was spending so so long kind of wording things like even if even if it was just like i'm gonna say something really off the cuff i was like oh shit i don't know who do i really not want to offend versus who do i does it it doesn't really matter and and so yeah whereas instagram hugely problematic on so many levels why so Uh, because well i have a 15 year old daughter who Mm. um you know follows um influencers and you know i guess um people who are in the public eye and who project 
um, images of themselves that are are perfect mm. and un- unobtainable and also not real. And also, you know, that sense of, you know, the, the sort of missing the party kind of thing. Like if she goes on there and, and friends have sort of, you know, mm. we're, we're doing this thing over here. You and haven't been invited yeah. and you didn't know about it. But generally, oh, generally it's just that sort of image of, of, of perfection, which is um, a lie. And I think for younger girls, it's just really um, destructive, but also horribly hard to avoid. And over the years, I've kind of taken it off, taken her off it. And but, you know, it's it's a it's a tricky thing. And then also I kind of I find myself annoyed by it because we all put out this best version of ourselves. And whether it's, you know, someone wishing their husband or wife happy birthday and you know doing this big sort of like you know you are the greatest father the greatest husband the greatest man the great and 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 you know and and showing these snapshots god i really feel like i'm going off on one like rather than the fucking toilet seat yeah pissed on that like showing you know the moment where you plucked um a a beautiful uh (laughs) flower with your beautiful young child not the screaming (laughs) asshole child (laughs) who you know five minutes before or after would have been there and and i and i think I, i have to constantly sort of slap myself and go that's not that's not real that's not how it is yeah how it is is you know, it's hard. It's hard for everyone. Maybe some people deal with it better than others, but overall, the whole thing is a fucking shit show. And that's what life is. And, mm. and you know, I mean, in, in some ways, I, I am a little bit part of the problem in that, you know, I, I, I post about my shows and so therefore everything must be going great. Mm. But I mean, I mean, I do occasionally sort of get on there and say it's not happening today. Mm. But... You know, even that feels indulgent. The whole thing is indulgent. But yeah. um, anyway, I was, one, one down. Yeah. The other ones will probably go at some point. So how how do you navigate that with your daughters as well in terms of like being in the public eye? Do, are they, do they feel weird about that? Are they like like teenagers? It's, are they it's, embarrassed they, about they, they, mommy? They have the same reaction as I have really. Yeah. When people are absolutely lovely yeah there's no harm in it I mean I used to say to people that I wouldn't do pictures when I'm with my kids which just seems to me like obviously completely normal that, thing why would anyone but ask they found me so my kids told me I was so rude they were like yeah. why would you say that to mm. that nice woman who just and I was like well it's I guess just, they, just, grew, they grew up in a generation where that's totally normal yeah they? yeah whereas so yeah. so so actually sometimes when I'm with them I, I do do it because they give me such a hard time yeah um, but you know, equally, if someone's a bit sort of poorly and you know getting in my grill too much, then then they find that awful. Yeah, you know, I mean, it rarely happens, but you know, if someone is just being too much, yeah, um, they 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 find it uh, embarrassing and and aggravating, which it is. Mm. But um, in general, people are lovely and. And so they find that lovely. And it's nice. Yeah. yeah they're proud. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I always think with social media, remember that film with Jim Carrey, Liar, Liar? When it was, it was a I film didn't... where you had to tell the truth, basically. Okay, I didn't see that. They should do that on social media. Like, it has to be like, you have to tell the truth. <laughs> just for a day. Yeah. Tell the truth today. Yeah. Because it would be so healthy yeah. for people. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's I just know. mad. Yeah. 
Okay, Sharon Morgan, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Really appreciate your time. It's so nice to meet you. And you. (laughs) Thank you so much to Sharon Horgan for that rather wonderful conversation. I loved talking to her. Um, I thought she was really generous with her time. And uh, I can't wait to see and experience what her next creative project ends up being. Okay, folks, um, next week on Finding Annie, we have a really interesting episode. It's going to be all about femininity. And uh, the interview is with one of the world's most famous transsexuals, a lady called Amanda Lepore, who is a muse, a artist, a dancer, a model, um, and really quite something. Check this out. I mean, I don't think that he's good. I mean, there's more and more shocking things that you hear just from Instagram, you know, like the, like, one of them that was really sad was a trans girl, like, that was a sex change in the army. Mm. And she had her surgery when she was in the army and she had to fix complications and the government was paying for the surgery and Mm. then when Trump went on he denied her and she got fired too for like the military thing so Mm. really fucked up her life and Mm. she's like a sweet beautiful girl Mm. you know Mm. yeah yeah so like he's not good for you know alternative people Mm. you know Mm. good people so like I don't know and they both have really bad hair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't get over Donald like, needs Lorenzo in his life. Yes, I think that the wife, I don't know her name, but... Mila- Melania? Is it The Milan? wigs are really bad. <laughs> really, really, really bad. And you could tell that a gay guard does not do them. <laughs> or if he does, I don't know what's going on, but they're really bad. Like a gag when I say it. we'll see you next week bye hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.